This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. My guest this week for episode 118 is producer, songwriter, musician extraordinaire, Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties. And hey, I want to mention if this is your first time here, There's a bonus episode available right now where Sarah answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can get that over at patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. You can subscribe for as little as three bucks a month. We got a bunch of tiers. You can submit questions to upcoming guests. We got a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. But uh, I just wanted to mention that at the front of the show. But I was really excited to talk to Sarah. I met her over the summer at my pal Dan Ozzy's house. Uh, a lot of pool parties over there over the summer. And um, yeah, it was, it was great to get to know her. And this conversation is awesome. If you were wondering if I'm still somehow on tour, guess what? I am. I'm somehow still on tour. Tonight, we are playing in Dallas, Texas at Amplified Live. Then on Friday at the Black Sheep in Colorado Springs. Saturday in Fort Collins at Washington. Sunday in Denver at the Summit Music Hall. Then we are heading back to California to wrap up this tour. December 6th, we're going to be at the Observatory in Santa Ana. The 7th in San Diego at the Observatory North Park. The 8th at the Belasco Theater in in, uh, Los Angeles. The 9th, Sacramento, Ace of Spades. And then we are wrapping this tour up in San Francisco on Saturday, December 10th at the Great American Music Hall. Touche Amore is out with the Menzingers and Screaming Females. This tour rocks. We've had a great time. And uh, we hope to see you in these last remaining dates. And that's my spiel. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties. (laughs) What's up, Sarah? How are you? Good. How's it going, Jeremy? Uh, It's okay. It's okay. It's, uh, you know, you're you're someone that um, I only recently, as in like this year, met. And uh, we met uh, during the during a hang at the wonderful Dan Ozzy pool, uh, which has been a yes. safe haven for a lot of us, I feel like, this summer. Oh, totally. I, I was just thinking about, like, it's like this villa, <laughs> like, removed. For, like, it feels like, um, you know, when you read books that, like, take place in the 20s, and, and it's like, oh, Picasso and Gertrude Stein and Hemingway are, like, <laughs> all, like, hanging out this bar. It's like the 
the like crusty pop punk version of that. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, you're giving us a lot of credit, but then I'm glad that you deduced us down to that. That's what I was waiting for. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, no, no, no. I was, we are not on the same. We are, we contain multitudes, yet they are different than the ones of the, of Legends past. It's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's been awesome. Good to hang with you uh, a few times. And now I'm excited to uh, to do this with you to actually, you know, I guess more or less get to know the 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 true background uh, of what it is to be uh, to be Sarah Tudson. So am I saying it right? Is it Tudson? <laughs> yes. Yes. You're saying it right. It's it seems like that's like a, a people don't get it right all the time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Substitute teachers panicked. When they had to read your email out, right? Oh my God. It's just, I don't know what it is. It's very, it's like a phonetic name. Like it's, you say it exactly the way it's spelled. But I think when people see a Z in the name, uh, immediately they're just like, it's got to be weirder, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Are you from Los Angeles originally? Yes, I grew up here. My parents grew up here. So um, I've been in LA a while. Yeah, what part? Um, out in the valley, like Woodland Hills area. Oh, okay, cool. I spent a lot of time out in Woodland Hills because my grandfather lived out there when I was a kid before, you know, obviously before he passed oh years later. But yeah, that was always uh, the the Woodland Hills exit off the 101 was like uh, probably every other weekend or something like that. So Classic. I'm from Burbank. Did, w- I'm from Burbank. Okay, so. cool. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah. Um, nice. So the first question I usually ask, musicians is um when you were growing up what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours maybe not something that was being played in the house but something that like maybe you found on your own um I think in middle school you know luckily I had a lot of great musical experiences growing up but but I think in middle school um when everyone was sort of like trading um you know burn cds or like limewire you know seeking stuff through limewire i feel like the first music that i really owned as like a uh as like a kid was sort of you know green day blink 182 black flag minor threat um like real big fish less than jake i sort of got into this like socal and uh west coast punk world and I was like really obsessed with with all this like kind of ratty ratty sounding guitar and like fast vocals and um that that was sort of the first music that I I wasn't um being exposed to by my family or you know even really my friends like I kind of felt like I wasn't listening to what my friends were listening to but I also like it took a couple years to like listen to like what the like I felt like a very soft punk, you know, like I, I didn't have like a black denim jacket and like there were a few kids that I really loved their taste in music. And I, I, for whatever reason, like I think personality wise, we just didn't really fit as friends. So I kind of was like on my own little weird music island. <laughs> sure. Was, uh, I'm actually curious because of where you were in the Valley, were you ever going to shows at like the Cobalt Cafe? Oh yeah. Yeah. Cobalt was huge. Uh, I did a little bit, I did a little bit of going to shows at the smell when I was in high school. Um, but Cobalt is like, 
probably 15 minutes from where I grew up. It's a little deeper north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, that Canoga mm-hmm. Park hang that, you know, there's nothing else to do there at all. Like, there, like that was always such <laughs> exactly. a funny thing about that venue as like, especially being young where, well, I guess, oh, I can't, I, man, I have not thought about this in a long time, but I remember there was that pizza spot that was like a couple buildings down that kind of felt like yeah. the only other thing to do. Um, it also had that the restroom Jerry's that wasn't. Pizza? Yes, I think that's what. No, uh, wait, I'm thinking. That's, or is that? Am I thinking also, the wrong thing? That's ba- well. There's Bakersfield. There's Jerry's Pizza, but um, that's a venue. But that might also be called Jerry's Pizza. I don't know. It sounds possible, but I just also remember yeah. I was going there because not only could you get, I guess it was okay pizza, but like there was just a bathroom that wasn't completely destroyed and disgusting. So that was also yeah. a good, uh, little safe Haven from that spot. But, um, I used to, yeah, I would go there all the time and play shows there and stuff like that. But it was, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it as I got older. How, when you reflect on it, do you reflect on it? Um, positively. You know, I kind of just felt like it was the only place you could play if you were like under 18 and didn't want to drive to the smell. You know, like, I think part of it was just like the easiest place to get to before you had a driver's license that would let bands play that were like underage. And like, that was kind of it. Like, there's not really a lot. It didn't really offer a lot more than that. Like you were saying, there wasn't, it wasn't like a fun neighborhood to hang out in or like, (laughs) you know, there wasn't like a, a park or like somewhere cool to like go before or after. So yeah, it was really kind of, I really just went to go see like friends bands play. I, I don't even remember. Like, I'm sure that none of them exist actually anymore. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, it's like, I'm with you. I'm so thankful that it existed for like giving uh, younger people a place to play. You didn't really have to go through any hoops. You could just call and say, Hey, can I play on this show? And, or like, can I, you know, is this, I see this date is open. Is it okay to play there? And they would be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, it's one of those things. I think, I think when you get older, when you start thinking back on it though, where you're like, okay, so they, if you brought in 30 people, they gave you $1 a head after that. So you start doing that. <laughs> You're like, wow, that place was really taking advantage of kids. <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, I, I guess, you know, yeah. on the other hand, it was giving a place for people to play. So it's like, does it balance each other out? You know what I'm saying? It's like, eh, it could be worse, uh... I suppose. <laughs> you know? Certainly. Certainly could be worse. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it, I guess like for those type of venues like the main thing is that is that like it's a way for parents to like not feel freaked out that their kids are like wearing safety pins and like <laughs> going to rock shows like you know what i mean like i feel like that's the main business model there is to like have like a self-contained environment for like uh little rock nerds to hang out and yeah but they were cleaning up and definitely the bands were making no money <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's fun to uh to i don't know if you've experienced it uh from, from your traveling as well because i know you've obviously done a lot of a lot of touring uh but it's always cool to hear about other people's hometown experiences with their version of the cobalt cafe because i feel like a lot yeah. of small towns end up having these um but uh so yeah like i'm forever thankful for it i have a lot of nostalgic memories for it but uh it it is funny to think about when you're older some of the business practices but hey you know what nothing's perfect um nothing's perfect 
<laughs> yeah. What was uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? This is a tough question. The, definitely the first concert I ever went to alone, like without supervision, was Real Big Fish at House of Blues in, on Sunset when it was in West Hollywood. Um, before that, you know, I was lucky. I feel like as a very small child, they would do days like at, I guess it was Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, like before the Disney concert hall was open, they would, you know, they would do like kid oriented days where the Philharmonic would play like a matinee show. And so I like went to that a couple of times, like with my grandparents. What was, uh, what was that orchestra performing? Was it like, just, was it like Disney related things or what were you going to see there? Uh, they did, they did a day that for uh peter peter and the wolf it's a prokofian oh, okay. like suite and like every it's very like narrative based and there's you know th- there's like each instrument is like a character in this story and so it's it really lends itself to like early childhood like teaching kids what instruments sound like what um and it's it's a beautiful piece also and they would like open doors like, like an hour before the show and you know, you could like, like the trombone player would be out there. You could do the slide. Like you could kind of like try a few instruments oh, as a little cool. kid. And, and that, yeah, it really, it was a, an exciting thing to do. Like, um, and then, you know, I think like we live in such close proximity to like LA is always doing shows at the park and shows at the Hollywood bowl. And like, you know, I felt like I had been exposed to a lot of great live music. Um, Oh, most of which I can't remember, but, but like definitely um, the f- the first show I was at alone was for better or worse, <laughs> real big fish. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so what? Uh, well, actually, I wanted to comment on the the thing you were describing about uh, going to see the orchestra uh, orchestra shows and like getting that firsthand experience of like getting to sort of like experience the those instruments up close. Um, you have to wonder if that played a big role in your interest in like music production as your life, you know, as you, as you got older and like your interest in different kinds of instruments and things like that. Do you feel like that was like laying a foundation? Oh yeah. I, you know, I never really put two and two together. Um, it, I guess it was, it was an obvious feeder for like wanting to be in middle school band and high school band and like in, in an orchestra or an ensemble or jazz band environment where there's like, you know, everybody's playing the same piece together. And um, so I definitely did a lot of that, but I, I didn't even really think about how like obvious that that leads into production is that, you know, this like ground level awareness of like many different timbres and instruments and effects to be playing with. Um, Cause you know, an orchestra is basically like a live version of that is like, you give like a woodwind, part to like you know something that you want like warm and reedy and whatever and then there's like strings are kind of like this like more metallic like arching uh goes very high you know they have a much wider range like all of this sort of stuff that you think about with modern instruments in production or with you know um even just like stuff on the computer um but yeah i guess that you know it's definitely part of it it's like having like an innate curiosity about like all the many, many pieces that like make up what the audience then gets to perceive. 
Yeah, totally. What was uh okay, so I'm I'm I might be assuming here, but you mentioned seeing real big fish and now you mentioned school band. Were you uh did you did you play uh did you play like a like some sort of horn or something like that? Was that your first instrument? <laughs> My very first instrument was piano, but I, in band I played drums. Oh, okay. Okay, not what I was yeah. expecting. I was expecting like the true ska route. The true ska route where you're going to say you played sax or something. <laughs> I wish, but no, I, I was a drummer. Um, I would, I said, I think that I would say that's like became sort of like my main instrument, like through all through college, and and then um, always sort of played piano and guitar and other stuff on the side. But uh, I, I think the closest I was to being a professional musician would have been as a drummer. <laughs> Oh wow! Okay, so well, real yeah. quick with the with the piano thing. How young did you start with piano? I started when I was about seven, and I remember begging my mom to let me take a piano lesson when I was like five or six. And I don't know why I got it in my brain. I really wanted to do it, and no, no one in my family is a musician. Also, it wasn't like I was watching an, uh, an older cousin or my parents or anything do that sort of stuff. But I was just like begging and begging and the only piano teacher my mom could find was sort of like hesitant to take on a little kid because I think she kind of wanted, you know, a certain amount. She didn't want to be babysitting, which I I don't think would have been the case with me at that age. But I totally understand why you wouldn't want to teach like a kid who's like maybe not in elementary school yet. And um, yeah, and so, so I waited a year and then I was able to go. And I did that for a long time, actually. I, I took lessons on that for a really long time, um, sort of on and off. It's like and... a parent's dream. You hear so many times that parents make kids take piano lessons, but I like that you were you were actually asking, like, please, can I do this? That's like truly a parent's yeah. dream. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was really lucky that my parents were supportive of that. And, um, and I think that they just, they didn't want to, forced me to do anything and I also think that most of the kids I knew were forced to take lessons unfortunately they became very good but they uh like as soon as high school was over they usually dropped their instrument or you know kind of it it didn't really become a part of their life and I I think that like being self-directed or being like even if you pick up an instrument later in life if it's not if your parents didn't make you do something but then you like I don't know, like hear Led Zeppelin and you're like, oh my God, I need to be a guitar player. And then you like seek it out. I feel like those people are actually become uh, much more fulfilled musicians, like long into life. For sure. Did uh, So what was the transition from that to playing drums? Like were you, was drums like junior high, high school where you got interested in Travis Barker and Trey Cool? <laughs> like what was what, Yeah, was basically, yeah. Yeah, that was basically it. It was I also I saw, you know, Nick Cannon drumline around that time. And it was awesome. And like, it's such a crazy movie. And I was like, I want to do that. And like, you know, my school didn't really have like a marching band (laughs) that was like doing that kind of stuff. But I wanted to be playing drums. And um, so I started doing that in like middle school band. And then was trying you know became interested in like doing drum set because you know middle school band was kind of like classical i guess and then 
so I so I wanted to do drum set and I kind of like did a soft transition from piano to drum set um and yeah that was like kind of like my main thing for like a really long time it was like but I didn't I really didn't even know that like studio work existed like I was just like I, I like I didn't know that you could do that as your like job forever and I kind of just thought that like oh like if you want to do music forever you either like be play in a band or you like become a manager or something you know right and yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah for me the path was just drums and I so I just obsessively practiced drums for years um, do you remember the do you remember the first song that you learned you were like you figured out you could actually play along to yes i believe the first song would have been back in black it's like really oh yeah straightforward acdc <laughs> yeah. so i think like my drum this drum instructor i had who lived very close by like he let me borrow like an extra drum set that he had laying around. And then um, he just like gave me all these, like a lot of like, I feel like older drum teachers love to start with like classic rock, you know, and they're like, sure. want to show you like John Bonham. They want to show you. Uh, also he was like really jazz heavy. So he was like showing me all this jazz. Um, that was a really cool way to learn drums in, and like, you know, drum set is such a contemporary instrument that um it, it was it was a really nice gateway for me to be like okay yeah like i can see where this fits into the music that i like you know and uh no sh shade to piano players but like unfortunately contemporary piano music ex is extremely dorky <laughs> <laughs> Did, uh, when, it, when it came to like uh jazz drummers i'm you know i i my knowledge of jazz is i'm still i'm i'm on a i've been on a uh a jazz journey these last bunch of years where i like i got oh, into awesome. it and then yeah it's like i i finally had the moment where it clicked with me and then you know i'm an obsessive person so like i have to learn and obsess over certain people but like was like art blakey someone that he turned you on to as a drummer yeah art blakey for sure max roach tony williams oh, yeah. elvin okay. jones were all sort of like the main school book um but yeah art is really interesting you know he's a, he's a band leader as well which is a, a a really cool um niche of jazz is like the the buddy riches and the art blakey's and the in and, and max roach too like like the drummer becomes like the star weirdly which is not yeah. like common in really any other type of music you know in at least in american contemporary music sure yeah no when i when i started the journey i think monan was in like in the first you know three or four records that i bought and then from there started just like getting all the you know art blakey uh quartet and and all of those sorts of, there's such great records and his drumming on some of those is just like outstanding reach I, I can't even imagine how you could do this stuff you know it's so it's so mind-blowing <laughs> um, yeah it's it's pretty cool it's really it's such a fun instrument i i'm like i'm i haven't practiced in so long i was and gonna I ask know, like how, yeah. how often you still play these days not much i don't i don't currently own a drum set unfortunately but um yeah I, I mean i love to play and i'll sit down every once in a while but it's been a long time since i've actually um 
done anything to, to like keep my chops up so I I'm a little rusty and I, I wouldn't trust myself to be the drummer that uh I perhaps once was but um but it's really fun and it, as a producer it's like such a huge skill and such a huge asset as far as like understanding how a song fits together I yeah I can only imagine how how useful that tool is I'm excited to talk to you about uh, music production stuff. Uh, before we hop there, though, what was the first band you ever did? Did you do bands and like, did you start a band in high school or or any of that as a drummer? Yeah. Oh yeah. The first band that I ever practiced with was like me and my friend who um, had just picked up the bass, and then like this other friend that had a guitar, but I don't, I don't think she really like knew how to play guitar necessarily. Um, so we kind of were like trading instruments around a little bit. And we, it was essentially a Green Day cover band. We never played any shows and we never had a band name, but we just like got together three or four times and like learned, learned some songs that we liked together. And that was like the first uh, non-academic band experience where it was like, okay, like my friends are going to come over to my house. Uh, we're going to plug all this stuff in and play some stuff. And my parents were nice enough to um the my drum set was in the in the living room of the house was like the only place oh my god so they were nice enough to just kind of like let us make a lot of noise and uh and lay low on like a sunday or something yeah the neighbor the neighbors were were they warned or was it uh was that a tough experience you know i feel like my neighbors were cool about it i don't really remember having any problems one neighbor like the guy is was this like dude who was like maybe a little maybe my dad's age and he had like a band also in that would practice in the garage and like they were like bad you know (laughs) and they would make noise like at night so i I feel like we had like a free pass kind of (laughs) today's episode is brought to you by anchorfish printing hey Are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. So what was the first band that you did that maybe played a show? Um, <laughs> so let's see, shortly, very early in high school, um, I got a few friends together to start a jazz combo. There was five or six of us. Okay. And we like somehow convinced a few people to like let us play like a cocktail hour at like uh like a wedding rehearsal. We did like a cocktail hour at like a bar mitzvah and like we was we would just learn tunes and then <laughs> go play. Um yeah, that was that was definitely the first band that was playing out, strangely enough. Okay. Like, I didn't really do like a rock band properly um 
until college probably and still it wasn't okay. my own like i was just i was playing in other people's stuff as a drummer um, sure and so uh you mentioned when it was like when you got to college that you started playing in like other people's bands and things like that so were those more like straightforward rock bands what kind of, or like what were they like punk adjacent stuff or what was yeah it? all all of that really it was kind of like I feel like um, once I was in college, like people kind of just went through waves of like what they thought was cool. And, um, you know, a lot of it was just like jamming in, in a, you know, in a practice room or whatever, and like playing whatever we wanted. Um, A few of my friends like kind of started to put together like artist projects that were a little more like focused. And that was all sort of like in indie rock world. and again, still, I was just playing drums and like all of these, like, I really was not confident about my vocals. I, I was writing a lot. Um, and I was like, I always sort of had been doing that as a kid and as an, and as an adult, just as like, a uh, something that was like fun and like good brain processing and like a way to be creative. Um, but I kind of was like really very uh not sure that i i could like fully carry a band as like a front person um so i was just playing in other people's bands or like doing like funny stuff you know with my friends like at a talent show would would be the only situation in which i would be like ever singing as like a teenager you know okay got it so yeah what was there a like i guess not um you know jazz wedding related like maybe like rock band style what was what was the first concert you played in that or like first show you played in that sort of environment was it like a talent um, show yeah probably i think there was a few that i was like like in high school you know a talent show or that was like at at the high school or at whatever like summer camp or something you know um, yeah 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 like that kind of thing uh once i was in boston for school like you know there's all these like little diy venues that are like in somebody's basement or like a random like tiny ass stage in in the back of a restaurant like i've I've played a a few of those like i I think like as like time feels like compressed there and it just kind of feels like it, it was very much like getting my footing and just like getting used to like playing in front of like five to 40 people you know like yeah kind of just like it feels very like all of that kind of feels like the same block in my brain you know like um yeah so yeah. <laughs> I, I read that you went to uh that you went to berkeley which is super awesome um when you went to school out there in boston was what was the focus because obviously it's a music school but like were you at that point now interested in recording or were you going there for a specific instrument So when you first go, you like can't declare a major, basically. They like make you kind of like figure out what you want to do. So you go just as an instrumentalist. Um, And I went as a drummer. And then like my second semester there, I started to take a bunch of uh, songwriting and like production classes. And so then, yeah, I like sort of realized once I was finally in college that like, there is this whole studio world and like you can be very creative and have a, a 
a huge influence on the creative process um, without being in somebody else's band. You know, it was kind of like, okay, cool. Like now I can like, somebody else can be the star. I can figure out how to record it really nicely and like arrange the music and like, you know, say like, oh, this thing isn't working. Like try playing it like this or whatever and kind of have like a more collaborative, like more exciting experience. And, and yeah, for, for whatever reason, it just like fully did not occur to me that like there's someone who was like coordinating and creatively guiding like an entire record, you know? Yeah. Was there a moment that you had personally where you were, cause one of the, you know, I, I haven't asked the question, but like, I usually ask like what your first recording experience was. And I'm wondering if that experience is what led you to wanting to be more interested in doing it and what your first recording experience was actually like. Yeah. Um, So my first recording experience, I do remember when I was maybe 13, uh, my family, like we had like the big, you know, like desktop computer for a long time. And my folks finally, like, switched from, like, the big, chunky desktop to, like, this Apple laptop for that. And, like, like, we kind of, like, for a while, my parents were, like, using this computer for work. And basically, my sister and I destroyed it by, like, you know, the same ways that, that, (laughs) that kids destroy computers by, like, being on, like, shitty, like, internet game, you know, websites or whatever. So... So my dad was finally like, okay, like, this is horrible. I'm going to get a laptop and then I will give you this old Mac laptop from that was from his office. So that had GarageBand on it. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, like, this is awesome. I can, like, play guitar and then do a separate track for singing. And so me and my buddy recorded a cover of the, like, the tune from that was in Juno with that Kimia Dawson sing. Oh yeah, sure. Or yeah. with the moldy peaches. Yeah. And we, so me and my buddy did that and it was like, Oh cool. Like you can put reverb on something. It was like kind of an, a cool, like, again, I still didn't like connect that there was like someone behind the board that wasn't, I think I just thought maybe artists like that were like, which I mean, is the case with a lot of these artists is that like, they just like had a tape machine or a computer or whatever. And like, just hit go and then like ran over their instrument and (laughs) played it, you know? Sure. Um, Which is the case with a lot of like, you know, DIY music. But I I didn't realize that like Green Day has like the force of Rob Rob Cavallo in the studio, you know? Yeah. I mean, those, those moments are really cool uh, when you do discover like, oh, there's more to this than just like having to figure it out all yourself, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. So it was while you were, I mean, I, I'm assuming you understood what a producer was by the time you were, you know, like while you were in college and stuff like that. But like, was there something about the process that, um, like, was there a moment where the, the idea of that process, like, hit you the first time where you're like, oh, I would just, I would have such a good time just getting, you know, just having input on the actual song structure process, like without maybe less focus on like it being my personal expression you know yeah yeah um yeah I don't know if there was like a specific moment but I do feel like in like freshman year of college was like the first time I like wrote songs with other people 
mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like just writing by myself and feeling like I was the only person who could ever like do the song justice. Yet I was had no interest in like being in front of people singing and playing guitar like that. And um, I feel like I had a few like writing sessions with friends who who were trying to do their own artist project, and I was like, oh, like it's as like it's just it's like what I was already doing as a kid, like in bands or, or like practicing with my friends after school, it's like kind of like music directing, but then you get to like get it perfect, you know, like you can kind of create using like all the tools in the world, um, to make like the most, uh, the most like, effective recording of a song and and for some reason I, I kind of like slowly started to get that like that's what was happening and it I think it just took pressure off of me like I just always was like oh man like I feel like I have to be the best drummer or something or the best guitar player and yet I don't think I ever was you know like especially when I got to college I wasn't and for some reason being a producer involved like other skills that I felt more confident in like communicating with people and like brainstorming and like, you know, kind of like technical skills that, um, that I, I felt like I was like everyone around me kind of was at ground zero, you know, like I didn't really feel like no one comes into college being like an engineering ace, or at least when I was in college, like, you know, I think now there's like so much more access to that stuff um even it's not even been that that crazy long of time but what you know 10 years ago the access was completely different and so at that time I kind of was like okay like we're all on an equal playing field we've all never touched a 48 channel console so like I have a chance to like really get into this and and excel and um yeah I think it was just like perspective change and um and like feeling re-inspired, you know, on stuff that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. So after college, how quickly did you jump into having a role? Because I've seen you've worked on a lot of pretty awesome records uh, with, uh, has it always been with uh, Chris Cody? Is that the person that you, okay, go ahead. Yeah, it it wasn't, uh, I, I started working for Chris, like, I think two years after I had graduated. Um, When I first got back, I, you know, they really like encourage you to be a part of like large studio culture, which is like, you know, has, has been dying. And it, I went back to LA, I got a gig with like a big record label studio as like a runner. And it was like the worst fucking six weeks of my life. I didn't make it very long. And I was like, there's a, there's gotta be another way. Like, this is ridiculous. I know there are people my age that are like, not just cleaning toilets. Uh, in music and so I quickly sort of like you know hustled around and I worked for this producer named Will Wells for a bit um who was also a Berkeley grad I think we had met like at Berkeley um when he was like coming back to do like an artist you know like kind of like a speaking series or whatever and we kept in touch and um and so I did some work for him 
and at the same time, like started assisting at this studio in Malibu for a while um, through him sort of. And then, and already like that, the, the studio in Malibu was just like, there was so much more trust in like people who had come out of college ha- having the skills to, you know, be engineering already. Um, and Will left to go on tour. And at that point, that's when I connected with Chris and worked for him for like three and a half years, basically. Um, and got a lot of, you know, he, a lot of engineering under my belt. Learned a lot about like technical sides of things. Like he very much was coming at it from like a com- computer and like synth background um, more so than a musical background, which I feel like up until then, most of the producers I knew were like, uh, their their backgrounds were like in really mastering an instrument. Whereas yeah. like Chris, I think was really about ma- mastering um, the tech and like, uh, that was a really cool way to like kind of look at engineering and I learned so much from him and yeah. Then That's I started awesome. touring a lot. <laughs> yeah. So like, so where does, <laughs> what's between that and Illuminati hotties? Was that like, was there, did you have other bands between then or that you were doing, uh, like, were you fronting any bands at this point? Like, where does that all, how does that all start? I was not fronting bands, but I was becoming a little more um, confident, like in, in like singing the songs that I was writing um and i feel like i like sort of cracked some code of like i i can just write for what sounds good in my voice or for what i think sounds good in my voice and i don't need to be like an amazing singer nor nor do 99% of the bands i love have amazing singers and yeah. so i was like okay i i can just express in like my own way and my like last project at college was like making an ep for myself that was just like i think it was just my name and um and i was like hitting a stride with writing and i kind of was like okay like if i want to be playing shows or if i want to like do make a record like as a band like that's kind of when i was like okay like i want to go by a different name or like have this kind of like pseudo band to like hide behind essentially um, as a writer. And um, while I was working for Chris, he he was so cool about just giving me like basically, literally the key to the studio. So anytime he wasn't working, I was in there like mixing other people's records or, or working on my own stuff. And I was able to record the entire first Illuminati Hotties record with like amazing gear at Chris's studio. And that was huge. Um, and like, it, it taught me a lot about the recording process surrounding like my own music in a way that I had never really experienced, I think. Um, so I was getting like more kind of like sure footed about playing shows. I like open for my, a couple friends bands out here and like, you know, kind of like would get some friends together to learn the tunes. And then were you, yeah, did you, I, I don't know if I know this. Were you playing all the instruments on that on the that first record? I played everything except bass. I didn't play any bass on that record. Okay. Um, and then there's a lot of like trickier guitar stuff that my buddy Jacob Blizzard played because that was like 
this is what I want to happen. And it's just going to take you probably seven less hours. So I like <laughs> sat down with him. We did like a day or two days in Nashville. Um, oh, wow. He was, yeah, it was uh, my buddy Colin who mixed the record and who did some engineering on that record and kind of has always been like a very encouraging and guiding force in my music lives in Nashville. So I went to visit him um, and just like in his home space, uh, we recorded um, the, all the Jacob guitars that happened on that record. Um, so what was, what was the first Illuminati hotties show? The first Illuminati hotties show was canceled because the bar closed down because they didn't have a liquor license. And oh, then, no. <laughs> and then this, the second Illuminati hottie show, which was really the first one was at this place called the whisperer, which the, I don't think it exists either actually anymore. It's like, it was on echo park Ave, like behind the Lassens kind of, there's like oh, Caesars or little Caesars pizza. And then like, mm-hmm. it was this building. Um, and I was just opening for like a friend's band who, had put together a residency at the bar that then closed halfway through the residency um and it was awesome and like i was like okay great like i could really do this and i do want to like finish this record and put out these songs and kind of like have this album that i've fully produced and engineered to be like a way to like show people that i can produce their band you know Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like, I didn't think about it that way, but it that does also help where you're just like, hey, not only is this my thing, um, if you want your thing to sound like this, I can do that. So that's, yeah. Exactly. It, it uh, helps in two different ways. Um, I know that record came out on Tiny Engines. Obviously, there's all the drama that came from that <laughs> label folding. But like, how did... How did that relationship start? Was it just, did you know people there? Did you know people who put out records on that label? Um, were you kind of shit? Were you like sending it out to multiple labels to just see who would put it out? What was the process? Yeah. You know, that's basically it. I was just like, I had never really thought that I would put out anything on a label. And what kind of while I was in Nashville, um, so Jacob also is in Lucy Degas' band. Oh, cool. And um, Lucy was so Lucy was in Nashville also to make. Um, I think I'm actually not sure what record they're making. I think they hmm. may have been finishing the first one also, um, or maybe the second one. But whatever. So she's out sure. there. Colin produces her stuff along with herself and with Jacob. And basically, Colin was like, "Come to Nashville this day. Jacob and Lucy will be in town." Uh, we can kind of like tag you on to the end of this session. And I was like, okay, great. And so we're all hanging out and Lucy's like, what are you doing with this album? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, well, you got to like, are you going to like shop it around? Like you can't just like put it on Bandcamp. And I was like, okay, I never thought about that. And so I started like emailing it to a few uh, kind of just cold emailing it around. Um, And like truly there was like not a lot of interest, but tiny engines was interested and I was a fan of bands on that label. And so it was kind of like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Like, why not? You know? Right. Yeah. No. Um, were you someone who, uh, was excited about like different formats of, of like getting your music on stuff, like was getting your record on vinyl the first time, something that was like, some you were hoping for because i know there's like cassettes of it too and and all of that like was there was there that moment of excitement when you actually got in your hands the first time oh yeah it was so cool i mean it's like that's like such it feels so like 
iconic to like hold your own record and like obviously like there's over the course of my life I've had so much music in my collection of stuff like you know and so yeah it was very cool to just be like yeah all right like this is real and like someone is gonna like buy this and like put it on their fucking thing you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) what was uh what about uh touring what was the first tour you ever did the first tour i did um i booked because i had just signed with tiny engines and they were like are you gonna tour this because you need to (laughs) i was like okay yeah uh that seems cool so i like booked it just through like dming bands on honestly i think even facebook like it wasn't like instagram was 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 a tool but i don't i wasn't like able to connect with Hmm. that many like outside of la bands yet or something i don't know like i i would dm people on facebook or on instagram and also venues and i booked this like two week tour for myself um that went like through south by southwest oh Um, okay so it was like we did two south by southwest showcases one was four tiny engines and one was uh i don't i don't even know i think i think we did one other one but i'm not remembering it but basically it was yeah sure yeah it was like at a brewery whatever so like um yeah so we went to nashville and back uh and we just like we're in this little minivan and like um yeah, yeah how was it, it was very how, did you have did you have a good time was it stressful did the shows all happen like did uh did, for the most part was it a would you call it a success yeah i feel like it was a success i think oh, like yeah. um you know i was hoping to break even um and i think i did mostly due to the fact that this show in Fort Collins that was like at an arcade or like a bar, like a bar with like pinball machines and stuff, you know? Uh huh. And like they, it was like near a college and it was a Saturday night and, and they were charging at the door for people under 21 who couldn't buy drinks. And then they, so like the bartenders could get like tipped out, you know, basically by people who weren't going to drink there um and then they like they the bar loved us and like split their tip out with us so we ended up that was like the final push like to be able to not be in the red after this tour um Um, i'm gonna just take a wild guess and i don't know if you'll remember was that place potentially called surfside seven does that sound familiar to you in any if it doesn't it's totally fine um, yeah, I don't think so. I'm I wish the, it was. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, I'm only bringing it up. And it's funny that it's called Surfside, considering it's in fucking Colorado. But um, yeah, landlocked. <laughs> yeah, as hell. Uh, but no, it's just a band I was in you many, many, many years ago uh, played in Fort Collins at the spot called Surfside 7, which was like a, a venue slash like pizza spot. It was like a bar or something like that. But I have a friend who recently moved to Fort Collins in the last bunch of years. And I, I just happened to bring it up to him. And he's like, still there, still doing shows, which I was like, holy <laughs> shit. So that's why it just I actually had to type it up to be like, what was that place called? So I was just curious if that was it could have been potentially where that was at. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. But uh, 
that, I mean, I'm it's, I mean, I feel like breaking even is like as as exciting as you could ever get for a first tour. You know, like you you yes. know so many horror stories for vans break down and then shows get canceled and you know the whole the whole thing. So that's a positive. It's so so brutal, and it really was just like a few things came together. One of which is that I had CDs to sell from Tiny Engines. Mm. Um, I my band went for free, which is crazy um and very nice of them it was essentially like vacation for them I yeah guess. do you want to come hang out yeah exactly and then the final thing was just yeah this like one show that like actually paid us yeah kind of like yeah <laughs> right at the end what was uh what was your south by experience like was that was it exciting was it the most stressful thing what was tell me your vibe because yeah it could be a it's a can of worms sometimes <laughs> Totally. Yeah. This was the first time I had been to South by. So it was in 2018, I guess. And I think 2017, 2018. I don't know. Time, you know, right. Yeah. No, I think it's 2018 because I think that's the year the record came out. So that would make sense. Yes. Yeah. 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 So 2018, it was the, the, the singles had been coming out, but the record has, had not yet come out. So I play this show, um, the Tiny Engines Showcase. Again, like, I had booked this whole tour myself. So, like, I really was new. I really didn't know that many people putting on stuff. Um, so I did this Tiny Engine Showcase. There was, like, maybe 25 people who were who watched it. But one of them was this person who writes for Stereo Gun. And they wrote an article that was, like, the like the best band that no one saw at South by Southwest. And it was very sweet. Um, and they've been a, a supporter for, for a while, um, which is cool. But basically that article like flipped everything into this new, like, like suddenly people were like getting interested. And about halfway through this tour, I got a call from a booking agent who was like, Hey, I'm in the airport going home from south by southwest and i'm reading this article and i just i want i wondered if if you were interested in talking when you get back to la so i was like okay yeah why not you know sure uh and then it just kind of became this like unending spiral and and i i spent much of the following 18 months like on tour as a result i i gotta say i'm i'm uh I love that story because it's so rare. I feel like these days for like something like that to happen where like an article can really change, you know, like one per like one person happened to being in the room, writes this nice article, and then that person's life kind of changes from there. I think that's like such a cool, um, rare case these days, you know, especially with um, uh, journalism and, and music journalism, like, you know, not, not as many music, uh, like, like physical magazines and all that sort of stuff to, so just to hear that that happened is like a, a really cool, special thing. That's awesome. Yeah. It felt very pure and like it, it did kind of feel like, um, you know, to kind of touch on, I think the sort of the, the point of this podcast, seemingly it did feel like I was like, man, I've been doing music for a really long time and I didn't really know where it was going. I kind of know what I want to do, but, but like now people are noticing and it it did, I think sort of like, it was the first time that I was like, okay, yeah, 
I've been working really hard on this and now it's kind of starting to pay off and become my full-time life, you know? For sure. Did, uh, so I was curious cause obviously, you know, like I, my heart always goes out to, to bands that start to sort of percolate and get a lot of attention just before the pandemic happened, because then that sort of like tore the guts out of a lot of people's plans and, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, obviously the falling out stuff with, uh, with tiny engines happened. I was curious about the mixtape that you put out because, um, it's obviously like enough songs to be a a full album. You know, it's like, it's like an LP basically, you know, um, did, and then you had a record come out the next year. So like, were those songs that you had just because of, you know, the lockdown and quarantine, were you just like writing all of the time and you had all of this material or was that stuff that you had been recording on the side? Like what was, what was sort of the process there with that many songs? So I had been working on what would become, let me do one more kind of like in between tours over the course of 2019. And the tiny engine stuff happens at the end of 2019. Uh, and it sort of is like unclear for a few months what actually is going to happen with bands, music and records. And um, basically I was like, oh shit, like I need to think of something because I have this record that's, you know, it's like 80% done that like cannot come out with this label. Yeah. Yet I signed a deal that where I owe them another record of some kind. Um, right. So very quickly, I threw together Free IH and I just kind of completely diverted my attention from finishing Let Me Do One More and wrote and recorded Free IH like really fast and really scrappy um, Uh with Zach and Tim. And like, yeah, and I was like, okay, this is going to be the way to sort of like do a fake out moment, you know? Yeah. Um, Because... We got to the point where they had agreed to not be not have ownership over whatever came out next, but they uh, they do get a percentage, and also they they the 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 terms were different if we were to sign with a bigger label, which we were working on. Um, so I was like, it can't. It, they just can't have let me do one more because it just like will will affect my career in a way that it, like could sink the band i think um, sure yeah you're looking out for yourself so and you, that, like, the move, that move that you did is is really smart and i'm sure there was something uh freeing about just being like i'm just gonna get together with my friends and just write some like you know songs super quickly and just see how they come out was that sort of like the energy yeah, exactly. It was like, I don't care what these songs sound like, like they can be ridiculous. <laughs> they can be this, like, whatever. I'm just going to do this, like, in the purest way that I can. And like, I wanted to do like a fully noise record. And then I kind of got like halfway through something like that. And I was like, you know, like, I don't want to sink the band by doing something <laughs> really dumb. So like I got yeah finding that and, like, finding that line is, is tough. I'm sure where you're like, I actually need people to to still enjoy aspects of this so that people don't who aren't going to read into the story here. Don't think that I just lost it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I wasn't deep enough to do like a full Neil Young. Was that record trans? <laughs> oh my God. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't go that far. So I had to like reel it back a little bit. 
um, and actually like write a, a song. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 But yeah. So that's kind of how that came together. And it was like really fast. It was very freeing to just, to not really care and kind of like, I'm lucky that the music ended up like, I think connecting with some people, but I was like, I don't really care if it does. And I just want to have fun and like make some dumb shit, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it's awesome. Um, and then what was it like starting your own imprint? Cause you have, uh, you, you have that through hopeless. It's, and I like the name that it's snack shack tracks. <laughs> uh, have you, have yeah. you only, have you only released your stuff on there or is the plan to put out other bands and have you put out other bands on it? Yeah. So currently the only thing we've released is hotties music, but we are very like super, super shortly. That's not the right way to say that (laughs) very soon. We will be announcing another artist that's, that's letting us um, put their record out. And I'm really excited. It's an amazing record. It is not in the realm of hotties at all but it is in the realm of just incredible songwriting and uh i'm excited to to finally get the ball rolling on that um and i was really i was really thankful that hopeless kind of was like yeah like we believe in your vision and we want you to have the creative control of like how the hotties not only how the hotties rollout goes but like how to support other music that you that you love which is sure. a big part of being a producer for me. Yeah. Um, back to a first, actually, have you, uh, because obviously, um, you know, you, you had to uh, stop touring because of the pandemic and stuff like that, but um, have you done a European tour or UK tour with this band yet? Yes, we just did our first Europe tour in April and May. We were out there for a few weeks and it was awesome. How was that? I yeah, it. how was that? so cool i again like first time being out there really enjoy- i'd been to london a couple times but i really had, hadn't been anywhere anywhere else in that continent and um it was really cool like it it felt like kind of the first tour how the first tour felt while i was seeing all these new cities i'd never been to it was like really stimulated by all this new culture um obviously there's just like beautiful uh, buildings and uh, you know out nature and like stuff to see in Europe that that we don't get necessarily especially in LA um, a lot of history out there good food and and it went better than expected as far as like turnout you know like I I was kind of like felt like yeah I hope like 10 people show up like <laughs> I don't know anyone in Leeds so every yeah. show felt great because it was just like, wow, there's way more people here than I thought there would be. And, uh, and I have no idea why, but I'm really excited, you know? That's amazing. Congratulations. That's, I'm, I'm glad you were able to, uh, to make it out there. Um, was it mostly UK or do, was there a good amount of shows in the mainland too? There's a good amount of shows in the mainland. Uh, it was like, like 60, 40 UK. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. yeah, no, very different than LA. I think the oldest building in LA is probably like 1987. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this, yeah, the buildings out there were like old as fuck, and I like kept like walking into buildings, being like, like <laughs> I feel like I said like, damn, this shit old. Like every single building I went to, <laughs> you know, 
like you'll be like having coffee somewhere and then you're like looking around and it's like there's a plaque that's like this is the basement of a church that was built in 1100 and i'm like what the fuck like i just got an espresso (laughs) it's so crazy it's so crazy uh did you happen to go through or did you see did you play scotland at all by chance we played glasgow yeah Okay. Oh, Glasgow is one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, so cool. If, yeah. you ever, if you ever get to play uh, in Edinburgh, we've only been there one time, but I was, it's like the whole, I'm, so, I'm sorry for the people of Scotland for me saying this, but like, it just looks like you're on the set of Harry Potter or something like that. Like every building <laughs> is just, everything is like, just like a castle. It's the most incredible looking place. Um, and we again we've only been there the one time but it's like the most majestic i just couldn't believe it you know like i'm I'm like i'm exactly like you like being from la specifically where there is no history here other than what you have to read and you know other than what you read in books it's like our buildings here don't last very long you know um so it's just such a trip getting to be in a place like that um yes well let me let me hit you with the last question which is uh you, i mean you kind of you kind of answered it um so i understand if if uh if you just are gonna end up more or less repeating yourself with that but uh when was that first time that you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards i think that um you know i was once i became fully self-employed like where my freelance gigs and my Illuminati hottie stuff was truly taking up too much time to work for someone else. Um, which I was obviously, I loved working for Chris and he's still a great friend. And, and I, I just remember like the conversation that we had where I was like, Hey, like I'm planning on being on tour a lot this year. And also I had been having to like, say no to some of Chris sessions because I had other sessions that were asking me to come produce or engineer or whatever. Um, and I kind of remember having this, this like sort of like last day conversation with him where it was like, I think it's time that like, I kind of like go do this thing, you know? And he's like, yeah, I think you gotta, you gotta do it. Like it's, you know, you're, you're getting too busy and, for what I need someone to do as my engineer, you know? And it, I think like in that sort of time period, I was like, wow, like all, all of my, (laughs) all of my evil schemes have worked. Like I'm like the record both has served as a way for me to be playing shows and having fun and like being out on the road. And it also is like gaining me, production clients and people who are like i love this record like how do i how do i make my stuff sound like this like can you mix this or can you produce these this handful of songs for me or whatever like that's definitely where the the tables started to turn and like it it really felt like kind of a a uh, you know a rocket launch from that point as far as like all of the all of the musical knowledge, all of the school, all of the like figuring stuff out about myself and about um, how to be in a band and how to like express myself really came to a head there. And it was like, okay, yeah, I am ready actually to like not work for someone else. And I'm, I have 
enough stuff going on and that I can like rustle up my own work when I'm home and then I'm on the road for the rest of the year and like kind of like keep my rent paid and keep food you know in my fridge like it was a really cool sort of realization that you know it was kind of like a, a leap and the net will appear like I was kind of like yeah I could get done with tour and then just be like calling Chris to like <laughs> take me back but luckily you know stuff continued to come through and and I was I felt really good to like have given myself the chance to sort of like take take the turn into um what is now my whole life <laughs> totally uh something that i think is awesome is that you know um you can always tell when a lot of people want to just get behind whatever someone is doing and just support them and you know from just like an outside perspective um i i first heard of you and your music through dan ozzy who we mentioned at the front of this uh this conversation but like um it's very clear that like there's such a, a a large group of people that just want to see you succeed. And I always get excited watching that happen. Um, and I think it also, uh, you can see that from an outside perspective as well for um, the range of artists that take you out on tour, which I think is really awesome. I, <laughs> last time I saw you, I was talking about how much I love seeing that, you know, a band like the armed has taken you out on tour, <laughs> but then at the same time you're touring with like death cab and Julian Baker and uh and things yeah. of that nature so um just keep doing what you're doing it's it's awesome to see and uh and i appreciate your presence in this uh weird music world we're all a part of thank you that's very sweet to hear that i really appreciate that absolutely have a good rest of your day yay bye <laughs> And that is our show. Thank you so much to Sarah for coming on. And thank you for listening. Reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now. If you head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Sarah answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Also, if you uh, if you enjoyed this and you don't and you uh, haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify or Apple or wherever it is you're listening to this, please do so. It helps us so much. Leaving a positive rating and review. Always, always, always so nice to see. Thank you. Take care, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Be good. Bye-bye.